Yes, it is I, your humble host, Bill Hatch the Third, coming to you live from the Palatial Home Studios of All Spots Productions here in the beautiful city of Santa Ana, California, for another episode of YWL Online's Totally Approachable Bible Study for All. Joining me in studio, as per the usual, is my friend, my brother in Christ, the disembodied voice of Rudy. Good morning, everybody. I love you all. Waka waka with the Lord. <laughs> and joining us from a more than acceptable safe social distance through the miracle of telephony is my father, Chaplain Bill Hatch. How you doing, Pop? I'm doing well. Greetings to all my fellow Bible inquisitors. Hope you're doing very well on this day. I'm in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, where the sun shines brightly, but it's freezing outside. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that happens. It is still winter, isn't it? Uh, rumors have it, and I guess we're heading for more storms still before March is over. So we'll see how things go. Okay. Yeah, we're uh, we're supposed to be getting some rain today ourselves. So, uh, yep, filling up them reservoirs. Uh huh. <laughs> some of them to overflowing. I understand. Yeah, a little bit, uh, but the ones we're most concerned about are the underground reservoirs, which we really can't control. <laughs> so, although they're talking about that, they're just saying that it's uh, that it's a huge, it would be a huge project to uh, to undertake. So, uh, yes. so, we'll see. And remember, <laughs> we're in global warming, and everything's drying up. Uh, well, that depends on where you yep. are. So <laughs> things have definitely been restored a lot this this winter time. Yep, yep. So uh, so at any rate, um, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a lot of material uh, to go through. Uh, my understanding is that uh, you usually take two sermons to get through uh, to get through Gideon get through the message of and, Gideon, uh, which is three covers three chapters in the book of Judges. Right. There's a lot of material in Gideon, the four Gideon in Judges. So, uh, but before we get to that, we have time for a Rudy Minute. All right. You ready? Yeah, you're sleepy. <laughs> My Rudy Minute is love, peace, and hope. If we can find those things, you might be able to pass it on. And they want, we're supposed to live as Jesus. And that's like a hard thing because he didn't do nothing wrong. And what it is is we just got to try and try. Because I'd rather flunk the test trying than pass the test cheating. <laughs> so remember, God gives you the marks and knows where you're going. So please, just try your best. That's all we can do. If I go to God and God says, you know what, Rudy? You're not going to make it. I'm like, hey, God, all I can do is try. All I did was try. And I love you, and I love you, Jesus. So remember, try, do your best. But sometimes I'm more critical on myself about things. Like, hey, you can be better. Why don't you be better? How come it's so easy? You can't do it. But what it is is just try your best. And remember, love God, please. He loves us. I love you all. Waka waka with the Lord. I'm going to sleep. Uh, was Rudy not wearing headphones today? No, Rudy's wearing his headphones. It's very difficult to hear him. But I heard love, hope, and peace, and I heard you 
talking about being tired and wanting to go back to sleep. Uh, (laughs) Which is something all of us like doing at various times when you're old like me, not like young like you. Uh, But nonetheless. Well, remember, he's he's still recovering from a heart attack. Yes, I understand that. And so we take it from there. Yep. And we will go forward with our Bible study of Gideon today. Yes, indeed. Now, there is a group of men in the United States. They're called Gideons. And they've taken their name from Gideon. But they do a whole lot better work than Gideon did back then. The Gideons uh, grouping today basically uh, hand out King James New Testaments and whole Bibles. And they do it lovingly for the Lord, no matter what. I was certainly a Christian when I enlisted in the Navy, but I still fondly remember uh, that the Gideons were giving out New Testaments to all service members upon their going into uh, the military. And Mm. believe it or not, Congress passed that as a regulation uh, back during World War II. So that they have been handing out literally millions, if not now reaching close to a billion, if not a billion uh, copies of King James. Of course, I am personally beyond King James, and I think King James is beyond many other people. Notice the difference in my phrasing. Uh, But Mm -hmm. still, they do a huge service to the Lord, and it reaches around the world. And so I like the Gideons, the story of Gideon that we're going to get into. Talk about your cycles up and down. For the Lord, Gideon fits this. Uh, we often remember the fleece question about Gideon, but what we're going to see is just amazing ups and downs in his life and service for the Lord. All right, chapter six of Judges, folks. You want to start, Bill? Sure. Why? <laughs> Well, how do you want to how do you want to approach this? Well, uh, you want to do it? Uh, we need to cover it you no know, basically by sections. I don't know that we need to read uh, the verses just to read verses. I okay. encourage everyone that you're doing that on your own, but still highlights that jump out at you, highlights that jump out at me we should cover in this story so that we do get it covered. All right? Okay. So, would you like to start? Sure. Well, uh, basically, uh, the uh, chapter 6 starts out with uh, the Israelites once again doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, this time, uh, God uh, let them uh, fall under Midian's oppression. And uh, for about seven years... Um, and, uh, the Israelites started hiding in the mountains, in, uh, in dens and caves and other mountain strongholds. Um, 
and uh, uh, basically whenever uh, whenever Israel sowed the seeds, then uh, Midian would come up with the Amalekites and the people of the east and uh, and go fight them and take their uh, take their food, take their crops, and uh, um, so uh, so there wasn't any food in Israel. Um, and uh, Israel became, uh, my, my translation says, greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And uh, so they cried out to God again for help. And uh, so, um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so God uh, brought up a prophet and, uh, um, and they talked about Egypt, uh, you know, and all the things that God did for them then. And, uh, um, and how they've ignored it. And how they've ignored forgotten it. it, I should say. I'm in Missouri, right. and we are considered the cave state. There are okay. so many caves. I thought here. you were the show me state. I'm sorry. I thought you were the show Officially, me state. It's the show me state, but there are so many caves here in Missouri that we can better understand. Uh, how the folks had to live in at this time in history. The Israelites were literally forced into hiding that said, get out of town or die. The um, mm -hmm. Midianites, Amalekites, and uh, what is it? Kudites? Kudites? Something like that. They were had an interesting uh, policy for the Israelites. They would let the Israelites plant the crops and grow the crops. I don't know if they let them actually harvest the crops or not, but then the Midianites and their cohorts would come in and not only take the grain, but they would have their own animals basically de- uh, don't know the right word. I'm sorry. It's left my brain. But they would literally let them graze upon the very fields uh, that had been uh, planted. So it basically ruined them. Um, I don't know how much camels are like sheep. But if you uh, are aware, sheep will eat grass down to including the roots. Cows will only eat grass that they can reach to. They can't really get all the way down to the ground and they don't pull them up by the roots, but sheep do. And if camels do that, then we see that this was really a, an oppressed time for the Israelites. Right. Now, up to this time, God has automatically raised up a deliverer for the people. This time, he's he gives words to a prophet, as Bill referenced, but it's a new step right. in the time of the judges. And the prophet gets up and says, you guys brought this upon yourself. God took you care, care of you out of Egypt, delivered you and promised you all these things if you followed him and you haven't. So we get a lot of, of this point is in here. And that's just the background for this story. But it's important to be able to see that God is raising up now a prophet to say, shame on you guys, you keep doing it. So he lets them suffer. 
for seven years, but this suffering is so much worse than before that the folks can't live at home. They've got to go hide in the mountains while this group comes through and basically destroys any hope they have of living uh, a regular life, not just a carefree blessing life, but even survive. Uh, but the word from the prophet is that God says, you did not obey me. This is what you brought upon yourselves. Yes, I think we can see a lot of this coming through in our own time and age, but I'm not sure I want to get too much into it. Now we will get to the deliverer that they are, the judge that they are going to now get to help them. And it's a man named Gideon. But before we get to Gideon, yep. I want us to look very briefly at verse 13. No, that's verse 11. I'm sorry. Small print, got to check. Yeah, verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came. He sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, who is the father of Gideon. Right. In verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord. But lo and behold, it says, we can see down in verse 14, that it's not just an angel. It's the Lord turned to him and said, this is, in my opinion, the pre-incarnate Christ, but yep. it's God. It's not just an angel. Don't call angels right. Lord, uh, but they are, do have that reference. We know from Old Testament scripture that it wasn't the full empowered Godhead because to look on that face, you would die. And lo and behold, Gideon is able to see this person. But it's important to see that it's a double reference. It's referred to as angel. It's referred to as the Lord. Capital L, Lord. That to me is the pre-incarnate Jesus. But what is this angel doing to start with? Or the Lord doing? He's just sitting under an oak tree. And it sort of brings to mind that maybe, hint, hint for everybody, God likes to see us and watch us while we're working. Up close and yeah. personal. God observes us every day of our lives, whether we like that idea or not. And there are minutiae details in there that I don't need us to be discussing here for this, uh, this setup. Right. But he's being patient with Gideon. <coughs> well, I think we, we do need to point out that Gideon was afraid of the Midianites. He was, uh, um, he was beating his wheat, his wheat it, get, you know, prep it, preparing it so that they could use it to make bread and eat and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but he was doing it in the wine press instead of on the Why? threshing floor, so that he could uh, so that he could hide it from the Midianites. Midianites. Wouldn't have thought about well, let's go to the wine press areas or the wine vineyards because it's not the season for mm -hmm. them. So Gideon's being right. pretty smart. He's got yeah. some of that wheat and he's 
grinding it, and he's taking care of his family. Right. And that's a neat thing. Taking care of family is an absolute responsibility we all need. And it needs to be seen from all sorts of perspectives uh, that Gideon is smart. He's taking care of his family's family, and we need to take care of our family. But Gideon is also not just bashful. He is shy, timid, and afraid are all good descriptors of Gideon at this point. And by the way, he wins at the end of, at the end of the battle. But still, he is absolutely Don't spoil it. He's he's absolutely <laughs> afraid. So he's grinding this wheat yeah. in the wine press to be able to get some food for the fa mm, pardon me, for the family. Right. And uh while the angel of the Lord who becomes just the Lord turns to him. <laughs> I don't know if Gideon could see this guy sitting over by the tree uh, while he was doing this grinding or not. But it says the Lord turned to him and basically go in the strength of the Lord and I am sending you. So I say this to me is absolutely the pre-incarnate Jesus. Uh and we have that here. And Gideon's like, huh? Who, me? And he gives descriptions, uh, descriptions of why he doesn't feel that he is any powerful person for the Lord. Uh, I mean, the angel calls him, you know, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. And Gideon is really looking around to each side of him, in my opinion. Saying, who, me? It's not going to happen. But we yeah. find the angel telling him, you're going to go. And Gideon starts his disclaimers. Wait a minute. You know, I'm not a mighty, valiant warrior. Not only are you coming to the smallest clan or the, sorry, the smallest tribe, you've picked the smallest clan, and my father's family is the smallest family which I don't believe, which Bill doesn't believe. Right. But that's the kind of excuses he's having. He's saying, this can't be. I mean, I'm no valiant warrior. I'm, I'm trying to help my family survive, but that's, that's it. And in God's eyes, that's more than enough. Because when we realize that us plus God is stronger than everybody else combined. Should always look at that in our daily walk. But we have uh, Gideon saying, this just can't be. They talk back and forth. And Gideon says, hmm, if you'll stay here, I'll go prepare an offering for you. And he does. And by looking at it, we see that it's not a short time frame. He goes and makes up some bread 
it's unleavened, so at least that doesn't take real long, but you still got to cook it. And what was it, a young goat? A young, a young goat, goat, and he prepares it. Which has to be killed properly and all that kind of now, stuff. It could be that they already had one on the on the hook like they do in the old butcher shops, and it's already it's already yeah, cut and drained still, but he says he prepared it says he prepared it means that he cooked it. And he right. brings the bread, the goat, and broth out to this messenger of God who he doesn't realize what's going on yet. Gideon doesn't. He puts it on a rock, as the angel tells him, pours the broth on top of it, which means it's all wet. The angel touches it with the end of his staff, and fire comes up out of the rock, not down from heaven, by the way. Unusual, but it comes up and it consumes it all, and the angel sort of disappears with the smoke of the flames. And Gideon is again, whoa, no way. <laughs> He's afraid. He believes that because he's yep. seen the face of the angel of the Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, and God has to speak to him. To and he has to say the most common phrase in the Bible. Fear not. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Right. So the next couple of verses are a little bit wishy-washy on what's going which which one came in the proper order. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And it was still there at the time of the writing. Remember we said Judges may have been written by Samuel. We don't know for sure, but it's after the fact. Uh, it says on that very night, the Lord said to him, uh, take your father's young bull and second bull, seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So, we know that there's pagan worship going on right there, even in his own family. Uh, I don't know. It says, build an altar to the Lord. Is that the same one that's up in verse 24? Or is it a second altar that he's building in this one nighttime? We're told that he does what God wants him to, but he's afraid. And then we get a hint as to how big this smallest of families is. Remember, he said, we're the least family. Well, he has 10 male servants that he takes and tears down the altar and the uh, Asherah pole and builds the altar to the Lord. So we can see where... Yeah, Gideon is not very impressive in his uh, leadership abilities, can we say? I've lost you on picture or you're just frozen. Oh. Uh, okay. No, I'm, I'm here. It's a frozen picture that I'm seeing broadcast, folks. I don't know if you are or not. Okay, don't... It 
Nope, they won't. Remember the uh, uh, the recording is done locally so that uh, we have right. better quality, so we okay. don't even have to worry about uh, it. Still, my point is being that Gideon is much stronger family than we've gotten the hints of, because he's got ten of his male servants that are helping him do this. And they cut it all down, and he's ready for the Lord, not even close. What we have happen the next morning is the people of the city see that the altar and the Asherah pole are pulled down. Remember, these folks are Hebrews. They are supposed to be God-fearing individuals, but they see these idols that are torn down, or I should say they don't see the idols because they've been torn down. And they want to know who did it, and they find out that it was Gideon, and they say he's going to die for doing this, taking away our idol worship. Right. Daddy comes to the rescue. And again, I think we can see uh, that this clan of this family of Gideon is really quite powerful in the region at the very least, because Joash, who had already yep. set up this altar and this Asherah pole on his property for everybody to get to come worship, he says, no, let the gods Baal stand up for Baal. No one's going to harm my son. And that's enough. Right. The people stop trying to kill Gideon at this point. He, you know, dad's got more than 10 male servants. You can be sure. And oh, he's yeah. got enough influence around that says, no, you're not going to do this. It's my son. He's done it. And that's all there is to it. You have anything on that section that I might have overlooked, Bill? Um, just that uh, that Gideon gets a new name. Uh, he's renamed Jerubbaal, uh, which means uh, let Baal plead because uh, of him tearing down the yep. altar. Not exactly a good godly name at all, but that's that's what he has on <laughs> it here. Uh, but yeah, there's really not let Baal contend with him, meaning Gideon. Uh, and that, of course, didn't happen because Baal's an idol, not a god, not the god, certainly. Right. Uh, Might have been a demon trying to influence people, but that's the way that can go for some other time. We have Gideon still not ready. God tells him he's going to defeat this huge uh, gathering of enemies. And Gideon says, I need a sign. And we have two signs with one object. The infamous fleece. I think last week I jokingly said, remember the golden fleece? That's not in, uh, in Hebrew literature. That's in Greek mythology. May not be so much mythology, right. but that's sort of a topic for another time. 
Gideon request of God, uh, the test of the fleece saying, we have, I'm paraphrasing, we have a lot of moisture at night. It's called dew. So tonight, can we have dew just on the fleece and the ground around it dry? <clears throat> and God says, okay. And that night, there is, after, or the next morning, there is dew only on the fleece and there is, the ground is dry. There is more than just dew, in my opinion, on this fleece because we're told that Gideon rings it out and there's a bowl full. It would, right. you would be hard pressed. Of course, it doesn't say how big to, the bowl in, is. But... In this day and, and even in New Orleans, as an example. If you were to put out a fleece on the ground uh, and it, the dew settled on it, if you try the next morning to wring that amount of dew out, you would not get a bowl full no matter what. You might feel it wet, but you'd certainly not be able to wring stuff out of it. God really caused that fleece. Yeah. Maybe he just took all the fleece, that nor uh, all the dew that would normally be around the area and put it on the fleece to make that much. It's not enough of a test yep. for Gideon. And he asked God to reverse the process. And it's certainly important for us to see that while God is saying yes to Gideon now, we should not try to put God to these kinds of tests today in our lives. So that's the important thing I get from this portion. But God is willing to let yeah. this happen with Gideon. Maybe it's because what he's preparing to uh, really cause a lot of anxiety for Gideon in the next uh, parts of this message and story. But the second night, the fleece is totally dry, but the ground all around it is wet. And so Gideon has a double sign here as he is preparing for this, I'm going to lead victory over these Amalekites and Midianites and Gedites. But he's got his sign. Bill, you want to point out anything else in this section? No, um, you know, when uh, when I saw that it was a freshly shorn fleece, um, it uh, it may, it reminded me of a uh, um, of a video that uh, we watched not too long ago about a sheep that had not been sheared in quite some time, and. Uh, um, and the the video, of course, was showing that, uh, that the sheep was rescued from its uh, its uh, not so good uh, owner and uh, given to people who would care for it. And they uh, they shore they she they sheared the sheep. Uh, <laughs> that's hard to say. Um, they sheared the sheep, and uh, um, and the fleece was really thick, like it, in parts it almost looked like it was a foot thick. And uh, um, so, uh, so freshly shorn sheep, um, their their uh, their fleece can be quite uh, can be quite heavy, 
and uh, um, and to be able to ring it out. Gideon's no wimp. Um, the uh, to to be able to wring the water out of it in the first place. Uh, yeah. That that can be quite a bit of uh, of power. So uh, so yeah. So we're we're really seeing that Gideon's whole uh, whole oh we're in the least tribe and the least clan and the least family and the least house and I am the least of my house right. really it's isn't not. true. And for you our non-farm folks, no, we should point out that in this particular story, we're not talking about a shorn sheep. We're talking about a sheep that has already been slaughtered because... Oh, okay. I didn't realize the yes. fleece had to have the skin. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be together. Oh, uh, okay. No, it, it it they when they shaved this one, it came uh, off in one piece. Me, son, it didn't. <laughs> and then, oh, they showed it in the now. video. No, I'd really have to see that, but it may have been so matted together that okay. it came off in huge sections. But there's just no way that it could be without being still to the skin, and wringing it out, it would certainly fall apart. But that's outside the story. We have the wet fleece, we have the right. dry fleece the next night, and we have Gideon yep. calling troops together to battle the Midianites. We know for a fact that 32,000 Hebrews come to assist Gideon in this battle. And so it sounds good. I mean, he's going against three different groups of enemies who are all camped together. And he has 32,000 men. And God says, wait, you have too many Israelite warriors. This is in chapter 7, by the way. But God says, you have too many. So tell everybody who is afraid or just wants to go home to go home and 22,000 of them go home. God says, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want the Israelites to say, we did this by our own power. So two thirds of Gideon's army goes home. And God says, that's still too many. And he says, this is how you're going to find out who I want to be a warrior in this battle. Now, I have no doubt Gideon needed help with so many signs before that he's getting fearful again, but he does what God says. And they do it by a simple test. Take them down to the river and each person, one at a time, look how they drink water out of the brook. If they get down on all fours and put their face down in the water, or if they take one hand and scoop up water and bring that to their mouth. Well, 300 of them do it that way.
And that means 9,700 others do it by getting down on all four to get a drink. And God tells, God tells Gideon to send the 9,700 home. I want to point out Gideon doesn't do that. And we'll get to it in a few minutes. But what we do have is 300 who scoop water with one hand and drink it. That is a military strategic soldier in the making. You see, in that day, they had swords. So if you're drinking with bringing water up to your mouth, you're still seeing the horizon. You're also in a position where you have your other hand ready to use the sword. So we have 300 that way. Uh, like I said, and this is in uh, da, 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 da. verse 7. God says at the end of it, everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops. So he didn't really send them home, even though God said send them home. And they will get used before long. But we have the mighty battle. Nope. We have shy Gideon. Timid Gideon. And he's going to be tested again to prove that God can do anything and help everyone. The angel of the Lord tells Gideon, are you still afraid? Well, we have this huge army, and Gideon had 33,000, and now he's down to 300, and now he's about to become a group of two. Because literally God's saying, are you still worried and, and timid about all this? You and your servant, go into the camp yourself. So we have two people going into this camp. Because Gideon's afraid. But in reality, God's taking him into this camp with just two of them to show that he's really got him protected. He and his servant go and they hear a silly dream. And I want to say it's a silly dream. No matter what. They go and they overhear two people, guards, one of them telling the other about a dream he had. And the dream was about a huge barley loaf. Well, remember, it's barley season, uh, harvest time. And that's what the Midianites are really going in right. for to take away from the Israelites. And the barley loaf rolls into the camp and it basically destroys the camp in the dream and the other soldier interprets the dream and says and that has to be nothing more or less than the army of Gideon coming in and destroying us because the Lord has given him yep. the glory or the victory in this battle 
Gideon is all enthused. And he and his servant go back to where the 300 are. And we get now the preparation for the battle. God can use anything to bring about victory. And I'll take an amen on that one, Bill. Amen. All right, so we have 300 men. Gideon divides them into three groups. Now, remember, we're told that the enemy is in a valley. They're all gathered and camped in this valley. Right. Gideon takes his 300, divides them into three groups, and puts them in different positions around the hills that are above the Midianites. And I know it's all three groups, but it's just easier to say the one. They are given very unusual items for battle. Each of these 300 is given a trumpet, a torch, and an empty water pitcher. Not exactly items you would want to take into a war. It's already presumed they have their swords with them. We have them in three groups. And what happens is before they get to that point, they all light their torches. They put the pitcher, empty pitcher, on top of the torch. That allows water, air to still feed the flame to keep the torches going. To which we all want to say, yeah, hooray. And they're told, Gideon tells them, do like I do when I do this. We're going to break the pitchers, causing a lot of noise to echo in this valley. The torches are going to be seen now as lights down in the valley. And the shouts and the trumpets, which is a victory for the Lord and Gideon, is what they're to shout. And they're supposed to blow these trumpets, all of it around the valley, causing the echoes right. and the impact. I know from research that in those time frames, or at least in the times of the Romans, which are even later, you would only have one torch for every so many, and I don't remember the number, but one torch for yeah, many soldiers. So imagine yourself being one of the Kedites, Amorites, or Amalekites rather, and the Midianites. They're asleep. This happens at night when it's dark. All of a sudden, they are startled awake by this huge crashing sound all over. A lot of noise. What's going on? 
and then they see these 300 lit torches, which means there's a whole lot more soldiers up in the hills and the voice and the trumpet sounds were also used uh, very sparingly. So having 300 trumpets would be also an impact. And these folks are absolutely woken up into a nightmare, if I may. Right. And to see that we have all of this going on. And these three groups of armies, who, by the way, are not in uniforms, but they're grouped. They wake up and they aren't fighting the Hebrews now. They're in a panic and they start fighting each other. So the 300 men with their swords to the ready, right now they're just standing still in place. They don't have to do the battle. It belongs to God. Right. Yeah. Blowing their horns. They're up yep. in the hills and the enemy's going to try to flee through the pass that they came into. But they're fighting each other and they don't recognize themselves because they're in a, each other. So they're in this panic and they start destroying one another. And the victory definitely is belonging to God. Do you have anything uh, you want to add on this section, Bill? Uh, just that uh, that after uh, after the army was routed, the Midianite army was routed. The uh, the people who'd been sent home uh, were brought back to chase them. Um, so uh, um, so yeah, after uh, after the after the uh, the Midianites and the Malachites and all them uh, started running. Then the uh, then the tribes uh, the people the men from the uh, tribes of Naphtali Asher and Manasseh who'd been sent home uh, were brought back and and more and, uh, um, yeah I to, think that's uh, why chase. the nine thousand seven hundred were sent to their tents that immediately gave Gideon more mm -hmm. folks to pursue the fleeing enemy but I also believe at the same right. time it was a call back for the other 22,000 who had been there and for a whole lot more yeah. because the route is on. Yep. So sure enough, the yep. folks from uh, Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, they're now pursuing the Midianites and then we're told that Gideon sent messengers to Ephraim, Remember, that's one of the sons of Joseph. It's a tribe now. Mm -hmm. So they come and join in the battle. Uh, we are told that they, the Ephraimites, were able to kill two of the major princes of the enemy. And their names were uh, mm -hmm. Zeb. Oreb and yeah, Zeb. Yeah, Oreb and Zeb. <laughs> and they are both killed by the Ephraimites. And the battle is continuing, but it's not over. Before the battle is over, we're in chapter 8 now, folks. Before this battle is over, we're going to get it done in one week, Bill. 
We are indeed, but we're in chapter. The men of Ephraim show the tribal jealousies that are still going on. And they are being bold and trying to put Gideon down. And they literally said, why didn't you involve us? Why dot, 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 you should have called us into this battle sooner. And we look at things and say, wait a minute, they already were called and they didn't come. And then God pared the group down. But they are angry to the point of going to war with Gideon at this point, even though the battle's not over, instead of focusing on the enemy. Gideon is wise again like he was at the wine press. And Gideon is able to talk them out of their anger. See, what have I done compared to you guys? You guys got these two princes. And they're, they're the most important and you all did it, not me. And that kind of settled them down so the war could continue. Gideon is still pursuing the enemies and he goes to two locations to try to get assistance for his very tired and hungry troops. Uh, let's see, I don't have, I know they're here. First he goes to the Jewish town, Hebrew town of Sukkoth, and he asks for bread, and the leaders of that town, again, show the tribal jealousy stuff, maybe the fearfulness of the enemy, but still, it's there, and they say, no, you don't have these guys under control. We're not going to give up any of our bread to support you because with the enemy still large and in charge, aha, God's in charge, but with the enemy still possibly there, they're going to come back and seek revenge on us. So we're not going to give you any of our bread or materials. Uh, and Gideon promises them when he comes back after he I'm sorry? A thrashing. A thrashing, yes. <laughs> a thrashing. Thorns. And That's no, what he promises talking them. about thorns in that area of the world because I've been there and I've seen them up close and personal. Yeah. I just cringe at the idea of being punished with them or by those thorns. But the promise is made. Yeah. The same thing was true with the next town. Um... Let's see. I'm sorry? Penuel. Menuel. Penuel. 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 He goes there. Penuel. And they he. give him the same kind of response. Penuel. So Gideon's not happy with them for not supporting his troops. And he goes on. He still captures his enemies, defeats their armies. Their military might is destroyed. And Gideon goes back to Penuel and to Sukkoth and does exactly what he was saying to fellow Israelites. And that's yep. not a good thing, but 
it's still there uh, to see and to realize that not everything is perfect. It goes on to say that he's got these final two priests, uh, not priests, princes of, of the enemy and he wants yeah. his son to uh, literally uh, you know, execute them, but his son is too young and too timid, something that Gideon himself has shown. But I guess the two princes think that, well, he won't do it himself. He was trying to get his son to do it, so we'll be bold. And they basically say, you know what? Strength is from the father. Kill us yourself. Surprise. He wasn't afraid. He did kill the two of them. The yeah. battle is all over. If the book ended, I'm sorry, the story ended here, we would be in great shape. But it doesn't end here. And this is what we need to learn as Christians still today. Gideon is offered the kingship. He and his sons and his grandsons. And wow, that's really something. Gideon says, no, God is our king. Hooray for Gideon. Yay, that's great. He wants God to be the ruler over them. He doesn't want to take that responsibility. And that's fantastic. And if we had the end of the story here, we would still be doing well. But it doesn't end there. He does request something of everyone. And what he asks for is the gold earrings of the, um, of the enemy. They're Ishmaelites, all three groups were. Right. And they, all, the, all the soldiers say, well, sure, we'll do that. And they start throwing all these gold earrings down on a cloth for Gideon. And he takes that gold, and this is where it gets bad, folks. He makes an idol. And this golden idol causes not just his own family and clan, but the regions around them. Yeah. And they come and worship that idol there in now, and I have which, that it was a golden you know, ephod, not an idol, but that it was worshipped as an it's idol. It's worshipped that way. So he didn't exactly yes, make an was. idol. Right. It was worshipped that way. And it became a trap for them. But it wasn't, right. it wasn't made that way. It's still worshipped that way. Kind of like the, uh, well, kind of like the, the snake, uh, uh, kind of like Moses' snake. It was originally made as something else, yes. but then eventually and became an idol. something that took away from the true God, and Gideon allowed that to happen. And the right. story of Gideon really comes to a conclusion with there was peace in the land for 40 years. He had lots of sons, and he had a concubine who also had a son. And that's a story for next week, not this week. Yep. But sure enough, Gideon brings about this great victory, but he also causes another form of idol worship to take place. 
as Christians, we cannot sit back on our victories of coming to the Lord as as coming to Jesus as his, as our Lord and Savior, and then let other things get in the way. So that's really what I have yes. for Gideon. Absolutely. And I did it better, less time than I usually preach on the topic. All right. <laughs> well, that's, you know what, though? Preaching for me okay. were 20 minute sermons at the most. So I've really taken up about three sermons right. time frame this time week. <laughs> yes. Little, little more detail than usual. So, <clears throat> yeah, we have a little more time than your standard sermon. Um, my pastor usually yeah. goes about an hour. So, <laughs> so that's what I've gotten used to. But, uh, um, but at any rate, uh, well, if you have come this far with us, gentle inquisitor, then perhaps you will come a little bit further and join us in this family we call Christianity. We do this not by sacrifice because Jesus took care of that once and for all with his, uh, his self-sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, um, the, first resur the first, uh, firstborn of the resurrection. And uh, um, we, don't, uh, we don't use magical spells or mystical ceremonies because that's not how we roll. Um, the sinner's prayer is not a magic spell. It won't uh, automatically gain you entry into heaven. Uh, because the Bible tells us that you must believe in your heart and speak with your mouth that uh, that Jesus is Lord. So the words that come out are an overflow of your heart. So uh, um, so if you believe in your heart, then uh, then you will want to say words like these. And uh, um, of course, uh, you don't have to say exactly this because this isn't quoting the Bible. This is just based on biblical principles and was something I thought sounded good. Um, and uh, whether you've been a believer for a second or a century, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So uh, you should uh, certainly be willing to spend this time to ask for forgiveness for the sins you have committed since the last time you, uh, you asked for forgiveness. Uh, we don't go around uh, asking forgiveness for the same sins over and over again because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And uh, once he's forgiven us, then uh, then they are as far as as far from us as east is from west. And uh, so uh, um, so yeah, so so only ask forgiveness for nuisance. Um, and then uh, uh, let's see. So uh, we'll uh, we'll use this time together. Um, I will uh, say uh, our sinner's prayer. And uh, you can uh, follow along with me, say the words in your own words, say, say it in your own words, um, whatever, uh, whatever the Lord leads you to do. And uh, this is just a guide to, uh, to help you. So here we go. Dear Lord, I am a sinner. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Show me how to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And teach me how to love my neighbor as myself. Guide my steps along the path you would have me take. And help me to do the work you have for me for the building of your kingdom. Come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. 
All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) You can see, I don't even say it the same way every time. (laughs) And uh, so that's uh, that's the beginning of your new Christian journey or uh, or the continuance of your uh, ongoing Christian journey. Remember, this isn't where you stop. This is where you begin or begin anew. And uh, your next step is, uh, if you haven't done so already, is to find yourself a Bible-believing church with a Bible-preaching pastor and a bunch of strong Christians around to help you figure out what your next steps are going to be. And uh, hopefully some of those next steps are going to be to come back here and listen to more of the show. Um, We have uh, more more programs for you here over the course of the week. Um, let's see on, uh, let's see the next episode of not quite after midnight. Um, hold on. It's coming up is going to be, oops, is going to be, let's see, William Collier, uh, a, uh, let's see, William Collier, um, who is a fictional author, police officer, former Navy pilot and airstrike director, hunter, gamer, musician, etc and Christian Apologist. Um, so uh, so he should be an interesting guest. And uh, we also have Alan Meisner, who is a health and fitness coach for people over 40, which uh, I definitely fall into that, uh, that category. So it should be an interesting show. And then uh, on Saturday, we will be, uh, we will be uh, having another episode of YWL Online's Anything Can Happen Saturday where uh, we will be continuing our journey through Catherine Slattery's book, uh, Dear God, I Have a Question, and we'll be continuing our look at prayer uh, in, uh, in that book. And uh, um, so, uh, so it's really interesting. If you've missed uh, the first half or any other uh, of our past shows, uh, simply scroll down the screen, and uh, you can uh, find those shows, shows, find those episodes, and uh, listen to them or watch them, and uh, uh, and catch up. Um, remember, if you have uh, questions, comments, concerns, you can uh, tell us anything that's on your heart, mind, or kidneys, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, answer your questions, pray with you, what uh, what uh, what have you, and uh, um, because. That is how we roll. Um, so uh, that's about it for the uh, for the show today. As uh, as usual, I will ask you, fine gentlemen, have anything else to say to the nice people? Uh, God's blessing nope, from Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And remember, next week we will be looking at the longest chapter in Judges, and it's not about a judge at all. But if you could read chapters Ooh. nine and ten, we will okay. go forward. Nine and ten, sounds good, and uh, um, yeah, and God's blessings and a waka 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 with the Lord from uh, Santa Ana, California. Remember to uh, be safe out there, everyone. Uh, remember to wash your hands and watch the ending credits. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Bald Spots Productions. I would like to thank my producer, my beloved mother, Eileen Hatch. I, of course, am your humble host. I would also like to thank my co-host, my beloved father, Chaplain Bill Hatch. I'd really like to thank my Ed McMahon, Rudy Corlew. Yes! 
Support the show if you feel so led over on Patreon.com. We are known as Bald Spots Pro. Don't you dare miss Not Quite After Midnight. You can find us on Facebook and wherever fine podcasts are offered. Be sure to like, comment, and share. You know, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you've got to do to kick that algorithm into gear and help us reach more people. If you or someone you know needs support now, call or text 988 or chat 988lifeline.org. 988 is the Suicide and Mental Health Crisis Lifeline here in the States.